With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Coming to you at 12.15 the a.m. Just finished up that Seahawks-Cardinals thriller. That seemed like it was over about 10 times, but it is now finally done. Congrats to the Cardinals on that thrilling victory. But we got 12 total games to go through on this episode of the podcast. Coming to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every single week, want to go over some injuries in this and then go, quickly go through every game with some snap counts, you know, big plays. And, of course, our PFF Lily favorite stat of every single matchup. So starting off with some injuries from the day and, you know, some things to look forward to uh, just in terms of you know potential waiver wire pickups and who could benefit uh, from a fantasy football perspective so Kenyon Drake suffered an ankle injury at the end of the game was rolling around in agony even crying uh, tough to see obviously Chase Edmonds is going to be bumped up into you know literally a top 12 running back uh, situation here moving forward without Drake in the picture uh, potentially you know we'll see what the severity of the injury is but you know Benjamin will be someone that you know comes in I think as a number two but I fully do expect you know Edmonds to kind of take what we thought was going to be you know the full-time Drake role this year and that was what we saw for most of 2019, a true three down RB1. Get Chase Edmonds, do whatever you need to do to get this guy on the waiver wire. Hopefully, because you've been listening to this podcast already, uh, you've already been storing him on the bench since your drafts. But if not, he's going to be anyone's idea of the number one waiver ad of the week. A couple of wide receivers that got banged up, but then they were able to come back just fine. T. Higgins, Stefan Diggs, and Russell Gage are okay, everybody. They return to action after being briefly sidelined. No worries there. Uh, Seahawks running back Chris Carson was deemed questionable in the first half with a foot injury. Never returned. We saw a mix of, you know, Carlos Hyde, DJ Dallas, even Travis Homer after that. I would kind of expect that to continue to be a split backfield. And you know, Rashad Penny could be someone coming back soon. That would be, I think, the main guy you'd want to pick up on the waiver wire. I just don't see Hyde. Um, Homer or, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, Hyde, Homer, or uh, the freaking Penny dude. Oh, my goodness. Penny's going to be the one there. Hyde, Homer, DJ Dallas. Excuse me, everyone. Been a long day. I don't expect any of them to really get that same sort of Chris Carson every down roll. If anyone's going to get it, it's going to be Rashad Penny. Uh, 49ers running back Jeff Wilson uh, believed to have suffered a high ankle sprain right after his third touchdown of the day. You know, we talked about this, you know, Jerick McKinnon spot and why, you know, he might not get that same role with Debo Samuel back. The problem is Debo Samuel is also hurt now with the hamstring. 
hamstring injury. So honestly, this might be a situation where we want to go back to the well with Jarek McKinnon. I know people are upset, and you know I know uh, Jermichael Hasty was the one getting some early down work, but the reason why McKinnon wasn't as involved this week was because they had their receivers and these other guys involved. All of a sudden, you take Wilson and Samuel from uh, away from the situation. I do think Jarek McKinnon is slowly but surely getting back into that top three playmaker uh, kind of pecking order in the offense. It's still Kittle one and probably Brandon Ayuk number two, but you know we see Shanahan week after week, matchup after matchup, continue to make the most of it. Uh, you know we just got to figure out who are going to be his primary ball carriers and move on from there. Uh, Broncos quarterback Drew Locke slid awkwardly towards the end of the game, so he kind of seemed hurt. We need to monitor that practice participation this week moving forward. Same thing with Philip Lindsay, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick, uh, who's banged up with a hamstring injury. So, again, just kind of moving parts there. We could maybe see Melvin Gordon get a featured role, Jerry Judy more condensed target share. We will see a big injury from the day. Per ESPN's Adam Schefter, Browns wide receiver Odo Beckham is scheduled to undergo an MRI on his knee on Monday. The team does not have any definitive diagnosis after the win uh, but as one source said per Schefter sometimes it's hard to know for sure obviously hope we dodge a bullet I think it was Rapport said that you know this is an injury that they fear to be serious we'll see prayers up for OBJ hopefully he is fine you know this is a much more fun uh, league with a healthy OBJ going out there and making plays Andy Dalton suffered a bad concussion on a big time cheap shot trying to slide during that Cowboys football team game, which means James Madison grabbed Ben DiNucci next man up. If uh, you know you guys are still just reveling in that awesome Sunday night game between the Seahawks and the Cardinals we just saw, please don't look ahead to next week. Well, I guess I'll spoil for you now. Cowboys Eagles Sunday night football week eight. Shoot me. All right, Austin Hooper appendix sat out this week after going an appendectomy. Just wanted to bring this up because you know this is something that could keep him sidelined uh, for another week. So with Harrison Bryant, you know having such a big game even David Njoku making his presence felt as well we can you know treat Bryant as a borderline tight end one ahead of next week's matchup uh, Aaron Jones with the Packers was a late addition to the injury report with the calf injury seemed pretty close to playing but if not you know Jamal Williams is going to be a guy that we're going to be able to put in the top 15 you know seemed like a situation where okay you, you draft AJ Dillon in the second round you lose your starting running back hey this is great you have a second round running back you can now lean on no they gave Jamal Williams you know almost the entire uh, backfield split Dylan was little more than just you know a clear backup option that got a couple carries they do not trust him on pass downs yet uh Brashad Perryman got knocked out of the Jets game with uh took a concussion on the sideline at the end of the game look Denzel Mims led them in targets and I mean this was not like Perryman got knocked out earlier in the game so Denzel Mims just based on target volume alone if Crowder and Perryman are going to remain sideline will be a fancy relevant factor Patriots wide receiver Nikhil Harry wasn't out there for the majority of the game with a head injury. We'll see what happens with that. I mean, look, not a good game for Cam Newton, but, you know, when Jacoby Myers is truly your best target, um, yeah, not great. Uh, Marquez Callaway, Saints wide receiver, had eight targets on the day, but unfortunately uh, injured his leg and was forced to leave early. If Michael Thomas and Manuel Sanders get back soon, we will not see more from Callaway, but uh, kudos to him for impressing with his, you know, limited opportunities. Uh, And then finally, Deontay Johnson got banged up at the end of the game with an ankle injury. So frustrating every time this guy comes out there he's making plays making people miss but cannot quite stay healthy so those are the injuries i'll make sure you tune in to the tuesday episode of this podcast i go over the monday night football game and then break down um, some of the top waiver wire claims and then on the friday episode i break down the thursday night football game and break down the key injuries to watch ahead of the weekend so these depth charts are always changing around everybody we got to stay on top of it as much as possible that is how we get uh, you know some hidden upside and just really when your guys are hurt you got to find other guys that are getting hurt and try to 
scoop out the backups. That's why we're trying to make money in this crazy game that we call fantasy football. So I want to get on to the games now, starting off with the Browns and the Bengals. Browns took this one 37-34. Thrilling game, like back and forth between both these quarterbacks. And, you know, kudos to Baker Mayfield. He's someone that... You know, I really haven't given a ton of love on this podcast this year because until this game, he was posting worse numbers in everything than he had in both the 2019 and 2018. So despite the Browns, you know, success in the wins-loss record, really hadn't seen Baker go out there and have a great performance yet. That changed on Sunday. I mean, he did had a great game. You know, even without OBJ there, we saw Baker slinging at 22 for 28, 297 yards and five scores. Uh, again, just a great game from Baker. You know, I, I understand that people are going out there and saying, oh, well, OBJ went out. Baker had this great game. Is he better without it? From the standpoint that, you know, like we talked about with Deshaun Watson this year, being better uh, statistically without DeAndre Hopkins and like the Panthers offense being better, you know, uh, statistically again without Christian McCaffrey. When you remove someone that you're just overly focusing on and just trying to force the ball to and thus not running an offense, I can get it from that perspective. But to imply that any team in the league wouldn't want to start Odell Beckham Jr. in three wide receiver sets, I can't get behind that. And please, please, please save your, you know, OBJ being an off-the-field problem and who even wants to kind of do it with this guy because all that stuff usually comes back to a kicking net, him taking what, with Victor Cruz, they took some photos on that ship before the Giants playoff game way back when, and I mean, even this play, he got injured trying to chase down the dude after an underthrown Baker Mayfield interception. I mean, the same thing that you know we lauded DK Metcalf for entirety of Sunday night, that's unfortunately what got OBJ hurt, so I hope he's okay. I mean, the league is, again, so much better with a healthy OBJ out there making plays, really hope it's nothing serious. Uh, with the Bengals, Joe Burrow, 406 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. This dude is going to put up absolutely crazy numbers this year because going into this game, he was leading the league in dropbacks. And after this game, he is still leading the league in dropbacks. You know, continued to make the right decision when, you know, he has a clean pocket to work from. When he's under under duress, we've seen some problems, but he does always seem to have, you know, a good idea where the ball's going. And, you know, we've been talking up Justin Herbert a lot recently and, you know, things he can do with his arm, make every throw on the field. Even if Burrow isn't that guy, I mean, just as a ability to process so quickly you know be you know uh, Tony Romo sneaky athletic like you know what they like to say but I really do think there is you know a lot to be said with that Tony Romo comp because it just seems like Burrow really has a plan every single play and as long as they can just keep him somewhat upright or at least just you know keep things within the general confines of uh, what the coach is drawing up he can certainly execute it so uh, moving on to the backfields now I dubbed this Kareem Hunt week, everybody. It wasn't quite Kareem Hunt week from, you know, just a total production standpoint. I mean, 76 yards rushing, 26 yards receiving and a score, but the usage was exactly what we were hoping for. Again, this is not a two-back backfield without Nick Chubb. This is a one-back workhorse, and his name is Kareem Hunt. 92% snaps. That was the highest single-week uh, rate among all running backs. Again, mentioned the 18 carries, four targets. The Ernest Johnson only had a single carry on the game. This is Kareem Hunt's backfield for as long as Nick Chubb is out. The only only reason we didn't see this the past two weeks was because the Steelers were blowing them out in the last fourth quarter and Kareem Hunt was cramping in the one before. So in a game where the Browns need to keep their foot on the gas, we saw Kareem Hunt really leave the field. He's going to continue to be a top five RB moving forward as long as Nick Chubb is sidelined. On the Bengals side of the ball, I'm taking a slight out here. I really didn't think that they would, you know, force this Joe Mixon role on Giovanni Bernard. They have Samaj Piran, Travion Williams, guys that might be better suited to run the ball inside. What they ended up doing was they gave Giovanni Bernard 75% snaps, Piran was only there for 26%. 13 carries for Geo and five targets. I mean, he just dominated the touch distribution from the backfield. You know, the five targets... 
hey, that's all this backfield was getting other than one additional one to P. Ryan. So that could even fluctuate in future weeks. But the only, only 13 carries, I mean, I think they just realized that, okay, Geo is playing the Joe Mixon role. Because of that, we need to change the offense and be a little bit more uh, pass-heavy than we otherwise would have been. So, you know what? That's a fair counter. I didn't think they would try to force, you know, Geo into this 20-carry role. And they didn't. They just kind of changed the offense accordingly. So a uh, situation where, again, it's always tough to tell with new coaching staffs and, you know, changes what's going to happen in these backfields. Best we can continue to do is monitor it, adjust, move forward. So, hey, if Mixon's remaining out and Geo's flirting with 15, 20 touches per week, he is going to be a high-end RB2, you know, truly borderline RB1 potentially because that pass-down work he's getting is truly, you know, what we're looking for in fantasy football land. Uh, quickly on the receivers, shout-out Rashard Higgins catching all six of his targets for 110 yards uh, for the Browns. Also, Harrison Bryant with Austin Hooper out, uh, 56 yards and a pair of scores. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones ended up catching the game-winning touchdown uh, uh, down the sideline. I believe he did. Oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Game-winning touchdown down the, side, down the sideline after Higgins uh, got them down there. And then on the Cincinnati side of the ball, Tyler Boyd, 101 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets. A.J. Green also had 13 targets, got 82 yards with it. T. Higgins caught all five of his targets for 71 yards and a score. Look, I think it's Boyd 1, Higgins 2, Green 3. But as long as Burroughs, again, leading the league in dropbacks, he's going to be able to enable three fantasy-relevant wide receivers more weeks than not, particularly when we got Boyd and Higgins who are consistently making the most out of those opportunities. Green looked better. Honestly, it seems like the adjustment Burrow's made with Green is just whenever he's throwing, whenever Green is going vertical down the field, it is no longer trying to lead him. It's just going back shoulder and trying to work on that. Makes sense, and it actually worked a few times this game. So I know we know we've been calling AJ AJG pretty dusty here on this podcast, but you know if he's going to continue getting double digit targets per game, he can be dusty and still be a viable fantasy commodity. Our uh, PFF Lily stat of this matchup again, just awesome game from Baker Mayfield, the highest graded game of his career in PFF passing great at 92.5 look i mean he didn't take a sack and for the first time all season he didn't even scramble once i mean just watching the game i was really taking him back at just how constantly he was kind of taking a short uh, short drop foot in the ground first read balls out he was nine for ten for 74 yards and three touchdowns when getting the ball out of his hands in fewer than two seconds he only had two such scores in weeks one through six combined so this really did seem to be you know a conscious effort for the Browns, get Baker more in rhythm. I mean, I feel like when he does run into problems, we we see this time and time again, you know, trying to roll out usually to his right, and he's not able to kind of just, he's not athletic enough to outrun some of his defensive ends. So the more that he can, you know, pick his spots with his off-script ability and, you know, work in, from the inside the confines of this, you know, looking pretty good system, the way they're working now, you know, with this Kubiak offense up in Cleveland, I think the better that's going to be for his passing game moving forward. Uh, next matchup here, we had the Lions defeat the Falcons 23-22. There were some crazy games today. Uh, Lions end up snatching this one. Todd Gurley had a chance to end the game if he did not score a touchdown. Unfortunately, his momentum carried him to the end zone. Lions got the ball back. We were able to go down the field. Nice chunk play to Kenny Galladay. And then ultimately, Matthew Stafford hit TJ Hawkinson for the game-winning score on the last play of the game. Uh, credit to Stafford, clearing 300 yards for the first time all season. He's now ripped off double-digit average target depth in four consecutive weeks since getting Kenny Galladay back in the lineup. Wasn't exactly the multi-touchdown performance we were kind of hoping to see uh, out of this spot, but this passing game, you know, they are more of a force to be reckoned with, particularly when we got a healthy Kenny Galladay. Oh my goodness. I think as soon as this podcast is up, I'm going to clip up some of his uh, catches from today because... 
He had six for 114 yards, and I swear, every single one of these catches was some sort of contested catch goodness. Guy all over him. Uh, you know, a friend of PFF, Josh Hermsmeyer, uh, he works at 538, but he did a cool study this offseason on separation and how, you know, some a lot of these better receivers in the league were consistently getting this uh, certain extent of separation. I can't do the article justice at this moment, but his one of his takeaways was that Kenny Galladay was just an outlier in terms of the production he was able to get on a per-target basis while not separating all that much. It makes sense. You know, his takeaway matches exactly what we see on the film, which is Kenny Galladay. That dude is a handful for anyone to cover, regardless of how, many, how, how much, uh, you know, space there is between him and defensive back. Uh, also with the Lions receiving, you know, Marvin Jones, five catches, 80 yards on six targets. So it wasn't a, exactly, you know, Minnesota Vikings four touchdown blow up. But, you know, in the spot against the Falcons, he did return some decent value. I think more weeks than not, we're not going to want to focus on anyone other than Galladay and Hawkinson in this passing game. But good to know Marvin Jones isn't completely uh, dusted out just yet. On the Falcons side of the ball, Matt Ryan, 31 for 42, 338 yards and a score. You know, got Julio, eight catches, 97 yards. Ridley, five catches, 69 yards in the score. Hayden Hurst and Russell Gage had six catches as well. Really wasn't forcing the ball to Ridley and Julio quite like we've seen in some of these past weeks. You know, they only scored 22 points, so maybe there uh, could have been something more to be said for that. But, you know, Matt Ryan did go ahead, go out there and mostly, uh, you know, do his thing. And again, this should have been a game that the Falcons won if Gurley just uh, could restrain himself from falling into the end zone. Um, so with these uh, running back situations, good news for DeAndre Swift and the Lions to an extent. I mean, he played 44% of the offensive snaps. That was the most on the team. Adrian Peterson's at 31%. Carrion Johnson, 24%. But Swift, you know, still had nine carries while AP had 11. We know Swift's the pass down back. He continued to be that guy. But honestly, watching this game, I got excited because I just saw Swift and Peterson getting the ball all the time. I thought, hey, maybe we have a two-back backfield now. No, Carrion Johnson's still there, taking nearly a quarter of the game snaps even though he's not even getting any touches so Swift you know this was a great matchup he did find his way into the end zone on a short uh, rush from inside the five yard line I believe but not a situation where he's the goal line back. AP still getting plenty of those uh, touches as well. Unfortunately, Swift clearly looks like the better guy, but it's going to be kind of like an Antonio Gibson situation where, hey, in the right matchup, you know, and Swift makes the most out of his touches. We're looking at a low-end RB2, but otherwise I think we're safer treating him as a flex play until we get, you know, one of carry-on or AP out of the picture. On the Falcons' uh, side of the ball, we have Gurley racking up 70% of the snaps, uh, 23 carries and three targets. Look, the guy's getting 20-plus touches per week, and when they do get down, he loses a lot of comeback mode work to Brian Hill and Edo Smith, but we have actually seen them even try to get Gurley a little more involved as a receiver in recent weeks. So look, this usage, he keeps finding the end zone. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's not being all that efficient with his carries. He only had a 63 yards on 23 carries on Sunday, but you know what? As long as they keep feeding this dude 20 plus touches, it's going to be harder and harder to keep him out of that weekly top 12. Still think he's going to be more of a top 16 uh, guy moving on to these uh, future weeks, but you know, credit to Gurley for Finding the end zone, even when, uh, you know, he didn't want to. I think those might be the uh, fantasy football gods getting him back for some of those moves in 2018 that, you know, might have been uh, smart and from a real-life perspective. But I know those fantasy football managers out there that had him rostered in some of those games, uh, were, were you know, maybe had a slight laugh at his expense uh, this week. 
PFF Lily stat of the matchup here. So one of the most common uh, analogies we had for Calvin Ridley uh, this year was that he was the 2020 version of 2019 Chris Godwin. And look, I don't like to pat my back much, but I think if you Twitter search 2019 Chris Godwin is 2020 Calvin Ridley, you might just see your host, Ian Harditz, mention this in January of last season. Either way, whoever thought of it first, this is the situation we're looking at. And it's awfully and it's honestly looking like a pretty great comparison through seven games. So 2019, Chris Goblin through seven games, 62 targets, 47 receptions, 705 yards, six touchdowns. 2020, Calvin Ridley, 64 targets, 40 catches, 615 yards, six touchdowns. Same amount of touchdowns, you know, Ridley, two two uh, more targets. I mean, the fact that he didn't have, he, he had that goose egg game thrown in there just shows you that he could even be putting up uh, bigger numbers. I know that's a part of it, but either way, you know, both these guys, extremely talented. I'm not trying to take anything away from Goblin, just pointing out that Ridley has been anyone's idea of a high-end fantasy wide receiver one all season. Shouldn't expect that to change anytime soon. Uh, next game here, Steelers and the Titans. This looked like it was going to get away from the Titans early, but they were able to come back thanks to some big plays. Ultimately had a chance to send in the overtime with a field goal but uh you know in our continued attempt to ban kickers we saw another reason why they suck this one did not go into ot and the steelers got the victory so with this one Ben Rossberger, you know, it was more good than bad. He got he got the win, but also had an ill-advised interception trying to get it to Juju at the end. That kind of gave the Titans a chance in the first place. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the explosive game. And we've been talking about this career low average target death in 2020. And for Rossberger to only throw for, you know, two touchdowns, 268 yards on 49 pass attempts, it just shows you the ceiling of this offense isn't as high as, you know, past years. We'll get to the wide receivers in a second. But, you know, even with these guys that we're going to go over, just realize that, you know, even though there might be more than one, fantasy viable option they're all looking way more like wide receiver twos even wide receiver threes than the past teams we were used to you know with ab and juju being wide receiver one so with the receivers deontay johnson led the way with 15 targets caught nine then for 80 yards and two scores Showed a really good job of just breaking tackles, which is what he's been doing all year. Low eight out roll. It's meshing well with Ben. They're getting the ball with Deontay on the move and he's making good things happen with it. So hey, we'll keep an eye on this ankle injury, but if he's healthy, he's ready to go. He's going to, you know, kind of retake his seat at the top of this wide receiver room as the top and most fantasy-friendly receiver in this offense. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was right there, though, at 14 targets himself, caught nine of them for 85 yards. We've been talking about Juju on this podcast and how he just has not looked right all season. You'll see him every single Wednesday. He misses practice with a knee injury. And it's just a situation where, look, he does not look 100%, even in this game. I mean, it just seemed like more like zone coverage or they just forgot about him, honestly. And that was like the situation that he was even picking up yards to begin with, so... 14 targets, I get it. If he's going to continue to get double-digit targets like A.J. Green now, we'll reassess. But honestly, I am not going to have Juju in my top 30 wide receivers next week. I don't see these targets sticking. And the fact that, you know, James Washington and Chase Claypool, who were playing the third wide receiver position for them, combined for just two targets. And honestly, Claypool's just a pop pass to begin with. That's not going to happen uh, every single week moving forward. Now, I'll take some responsibility. I probably assumed a little too hard that Claypool's uh, usage was going to continue because he's been their best wide receiver. But we got to remember, you know, just because someone's been outperforming other dudes for a couple weeks doesn't mean that, you know, incumbent starters and backups won't get their roles back when they're healthy. But either way, I mean, we're not going to see Deontay and Juju just completely pull away from everyone right now and leave Washington and Claypool in the dust. I still think this could be, you know, a, a pretty, you know, fluid situation on a week-to-week basis. Uh, going into next week, I would probably rank them Deontay 1, 
one, Claypool two, and Juju three. Going back to woe Claypool, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you should cut him. We do need to temper expectations. He's not going to be this weekly wide receiver one or anything like that. But look, we've seen the boom weeks. This, this guy is too good not to do anything the rest of the season. I understand targets could be a little bit harder to come by, but as we've seen, he doesn't always need all that many targets to make big things happen with him. All right, moving on to the tight inside of the ball. Tannehill under pressure all game, you know, as is anyone that's going to be playing the New York Giants. But, you know, in a game where Derrick Henry wasn't really able to take over, still gave the Titans a chance to, you know, force overtime and ultimately win the game. And that is because A.J. Brown, wide receiver one season, everybody. I freaking love it. He caught six of eight targets for 153 yards and a score. We were wondering how healthy he was. It does sound like this, you know, kind of him missing practice on Thursday has become a bit of a just routine trying to keep him healthy. Well, keep doing it because he looked great. I mean, has 73-yard catch and run for a touchdown, just took, you know, a crosser, split the safeties, and was gone. It was really, you know, more similar to what we saw last year. This year, he's kind of been living more on red zone chemistry, just being a big physical bully uh, near the end zone. And, hey, that works. It all works because A.J. Brown just keeps scoring touchdowns, keeps making big plays. So, you know, we've been hyping him up as this, you know, top 12 wide receiver throughout the entire offseason because he truly is one of the exceptions to the rule, that chase opportunity, not talent. You know, chase opportunity, not talent, unless that talent is AJ freaking Brown, everybody. Uh, Corey Davis, six catches, 35 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. His long catch was seven yards. How is that even possible? Just madness. Like, come on, bro. Get downfield a little bit. I, it was you know surprising to see Corey lead the way with these wide receivers. It's going to be a situation that's more week to week. I think the important thing to remember with this year's version of the Titans offense is we're not seeing these games anymore where Tannehill's throwing the ball 15, 20 times. They trust him much more than they did a season ago. And because of that, we're going to see A.J. Brown's, you know, usual kind of boom-bust nature more from the more of what we're seeing this year. The reality that A.J. Brown is a boom or boom wide receiver, everybody. Uh, John U. Smith, disappointing game, only one catch for nine yards on four targets. Adam Humphreys had under 20 yards. I mean, no one else was doing much. And receiving game you know it's going to be up and down a little bit in this sort of run first offense but just realize aj brown is the undisputed number one dude in this passing game uh quickly touching on these backfields steelers uh james connor bumped up in the right direction this was a good game to see he has 82 percent snaps 20 carries four targets now i know you james connor fantasy managers out there are saying well this isn't a good game what are you talking about he uh busted for us but first of all it's not really James Conner's fault. I mean, this was so bad. He had a touchdown catch nullified early, and then he dropped a touchdown. That was his fault. But then he had two other runs where he just got stopped just short of the goal line. Benny Snow ended up hammering one of those in, and then they got a touchdown with Deontay Johnson on the other one. So the usage was actually a step in the right direction. I mean, the 82% snaps, we're used to seeing him in the 60s and, you know, kind of a weird four-back committee. And the four targets, you know, he was really working ahead of everybody, of everybody else in the passing game, at least in terms of running backs. So that was good to see as well. You know, I've talked about Connor being a potential sell high candidate because his role was looking a lot more like David Johnson, Kenyon Drake before, you know, this like 60 to 70 percent snap back with, you know, 15 to 20 carries, but, you know, more like one or three targets instead of five plus. And, you know, he's been scoring touchdowns in recent weeks, but the thought was that you want to probably get rid of him before some of that touchdown regression comes back, you know, with Big Ben this offense not being the same sort of explosive unit we've seen. Hey, if Connor's going to, you know, stay healthy and keep racking up 20 plus touches, he's going to stay in your fantasy lineups, but just realize that he continues to kind of operate towards the peaks of his powers. You know, same reason why we recommended you sell uh, OBJ after that big game against the Cowboys. Like when you get someone that's just truly at the height of their value, and we're talking in, you know, mostly just season-long redraft formats, uh, it is a good time to, you know, just try to go get someone that you think could still have their best days ahead of them. 
Tight inside the ball, yeah, Derrick Henry show, 73% snaps, 20 carries, two targets, only had 75 yards and a touchdown on the rushing, but oh my goodness, everyone, get ready because November is almost here, and Derrick Henry in his career literally starts averaging about five uh, more yards per carry uh, once November comes around. All right, let me pull that up real quick because that truly is one of the more crazy stats I think I have on a player. I mean, it makes sense. It's Derrick Henry. Why would you want to tackle a guy when things get uh, you know uh, more cold and stuff in the weather? I know. I wouldn't, but if you look at it, Derrick Henry, this was going into this year, so it might have changed a little bit, but for, in Derrick Henry's career, going into 2019, in September and October, he has averaged 3.87 yards per carry. In November, that goes to 5.87. In December, 5.38. In January, 5.2 yards per carry. You know, makes sense from a real-life perspective, and guess what? It also makes sense from a what's-actually-happened perspective. You love to see Derrick Henry in the winter unless you are the defense playing him on that day. Uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So AJ Brown has missed two games, but just realize he is absolutely balling as it stands. He's averaging 5.6 receptions, 83 yards, and a touchdown a game on eight targets. That's 16 game target pace, good for 128. We were wondering if he could even have triple digit targets this year. They are truly featuring AJB as the wide receiver one he deserves to be featured as. Quick shout out to our sponsors before we keep on going. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks into their account by using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's the $40 value for just 20 bucks. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 in promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Always appreciate our fine sponsors over there at Monkey Knife Fight. That's code PFF for everyone out there. Uh, next game here, another 27-24 matchup. Saints and the Panthers. Saints managed to eke this one out. Again, it was another, you know, just kind of sneaky close game. The Panthers had a chance to tie this one with a little bit over two minutes left. It was a 65-yard field goal, and it looks like it would have been good from 63 or 64. So, tough loss. And you look at these Panthers stats, and I was watching them playing. I was kind of wondering why these guys weren't popping even a little more than they did. Because, I mean, Teddy, 23 for 28. 254 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. They didn't lose a fumble all game. But you look at what the Saints were able to do on their drives. The Saints had, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. Saints had seven drives in this game. And those drives had 14 plays, nine plays, eight plays, eight plays, 13 plays, 13 plays, and then finally just four plays because they were kneeling on the ball to end the game. So absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the Saints just did such a good job controlling this entire game. They really didn't even give the Panthers uh, more than a 65-yard field goal worth of a chance to really get themselves back in it. So, I mean, again, Bridgewater, okay, the touchdowns weren't all that magnificent. I mean, on DJ Moore's 74-yard bomb, I don't know if we want to call it a blown coverage or Teddy Bridgewater looking off the safety to make it a blown coverage, but either way, was the most difficult throw and then DJ Moore's second touchdown came out a little pop pass where he just went around uh, right end and again wasn't a situation where Teddy was asked to do all that much we did see Robbie Anderson six catches 74 yards and even Curtis Samuel uh, six catches 48 yards have some nice plays again Teddy played well it was a situation where he didn't really have the volume to put up bigger numbers uh, also quickly on Curtis Samuel one carry five yards and touchdown lined up as a running back as you know the Columbus Ohio lifer that I am I love seeing what should have been and what could still be our generation's version of Percy Harvin uh, out there being used like the true RB wide receiver, just overall offensive weapon that he deserves to be. Uh, moving over to the New Orleans side of the ball. 
Drew Brees, uh, you know, this is a really good game for him. He had one of the, you know, token leaps over the goal line from the one-yard line to get the rushing score. Also 287 yards through the air, two touchdowns, just seven incompletions on 36 attempts. So, you know, look, he's not chucking the ball downfield every play. He's never been that guy. I mean, you look at these Saints offenses in the past. It's just, you know, is there you know a situation where defenses are more willing to crowd the line of scrimmage this year and, you know, force them to throw deep? That's up for conversation. But, you know, just in terms of Brees being this, you know, wash and just useless quarterback, these days, particularly in matchups like this where he can just almost win and know where the ball is going before the snap, it seemed like. Uh, still a guy that's going to be able to put up, uh, you know, close to 300 yards and multiple touchdowns every single week. The main question with this offense is what happens, you know, when they face a real defense, the Buccaneers or something like that, uh, you know, later in the season and in the playoffs. I understand they had their way with the Buccaneers in week one, but we'll see what happens in the future. I think these teams are trending in a little bit different directions at the moment, but we'll get more on that in a little bit. With the New Orleans receivers, we had uh, Mar- Marquez Callaway caught 8 of 10 targets for 75 yards and no scores. He unfortunately got injured. Not going to be a situation where I think uh, we're going to see him uh, you know, with too much more work here moving forward because it is going to be uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders back hopefully soon and Michael Thomas maybe at some point. So if not, and Callaway's fine, then okay, he'll be in two wide receiver sets. But I would still expect Traquan Smith to be the guy more weeks than not. He caught four Four balls, 54 uh, yards in this one. Jared Cook also had three catches, 32 yards, and a score. And finally, Deontay Harris, four catches, 46 yards, and a score. So it was really spread out. I mean, Breeze, again, wasn't really trying to force the ball to anyone, just was consistently taking what the defense was giving him. It worked. Real life win, fancy win, you know, for Breeze in terms of just what he was kind of expecting to do, getting the rushing touch and on there. Good stuff all around. Uh, with these backfields, Alvin Kamara show per usual 73% snaps. Uh, Latavius is down there at 33%. Latavius had 11 carries. He's been, you know, more involved with Michael Thomas out. I think he's more of a viable flex option as long as those guys remain remain out just realize it's still going to be you know not much more than double digit uh, carries and you know we'd be lucky if you get a target or two per game Kamara did catch uh, eight passes I'm not sure what his 16 game projection is but I continue to just have this weird feeling that he's going to finish with exactly 81 receptions this year uh, on the Panthers side of the ball Mike Davis dominated the usage again 74 percent snaps but Again, just because the Panthers, they didn't have that many plays. I mean, again, Teddy, 28 pass attempts, and as a team, they only had 14 uh, rush attempts. So, you know, while Mike Davis didn't have this big game, uh, you know, only seven carries for 12 yards and then converted his five catches into 24 yards, still a situation where even when Christian McCaffrey comes back, you are not letting Mike Davis hit that waiver wire because the second something happens to McCaffrey, we are once again treating Mike Davis as an every week RB1. Uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So, our 2020-16 game paces before the uh, Carolina Panthers wide receivers are as follows. Robbie Anderson, 137 targets, 105 catches, 1,465 yards, and 2.3 touchdowns. DJ Moore, 121 targets, 73 catches, uh, 1,309 yards and 6.9 touchdowns. Okay, I think, you know, Robbie's touchdowns are going to rise up and maybe DJ's rise down uh, or drop down a little bit. But either way, it's not Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore. It's Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Both these guys are getting, you know, wide receiver one level workloads. It's like a less sexy version than DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Seattle. We still see some other guys get a rece- uh, targets from time to time, but it's nowhere as consistent, particularly when you include the air yard aspect of it, as we're seeing with Robbie and DJ continue to treat them both as weekly uh, wide receiver twos at worst. Next matchup here, won't waste too much time on this one. Bills beat the Jets 18 to 10. For those of us that had, you know, Bills minus 10 and a half, uh, I kind of wish they could have found a way to find the end zone even once against the freaking New York Jets. But no, I'm not bitter. Uh, You're bitter. Anyway, uh, Josh Allen, you know, typical... 
I shouldn't say typical Josh Allen fashion, but it was just kind of a funny Josh Allen game. 307 passing yards, another 61 yards on the ground. Again, not scoring on the Jets throughout the entire way, but you know, still kind of serving as a useful fantasy football quarterback uh, despite that fact. And that is the thing with Josh Allen. Like, okay, if you want to call his first three or four weeks a fluke and say he's never going to play that well again, well, he's still going to be this top six or seven fantasy quarterback in the league because that's exactly what he's been ever since he came here. His rushing workload, you know, this guy's just a willingness to continuously throw the ball downfield. He's going to continue to put up numbers. Whether he continues to flirt like a flirt with playing like an MVP candidate, I think we've seen that's fallen off and he hasn't continued to play like that. But uh, just realize that Josh Allen, while maybe, you know, we'll knock him down from the top three in the QB ranks here moving forward, he's still going to be an every week starter at the position. Could have been a bigger game too. I mean, Cole Beasley had a touchdown where his like foot just went out of bounds uh, before. That wasn't really Josh Allen's fault. And also Gabriel Davis had his second touchdown of the year nullified. So this was pretty much Josh Allen's idea of a floor game, which is pretty ridiculous in fantasy football land. With the New York Jets, uh, Sam Darnold, 120 yards, pair of picks on 23 attempts. Uh, Denzel Mims had seven targets in his first game. He looked pretty good. Uh, Perryman, like I mentioned, got knocked out towards the end of the game. Braxton Berrios had seven targets as well. The only guy I want on this offense, I think, with Crowder and Perryman out would be Mims. I understand they're going to still try to force a slot with Braxton Berrios, but they're not giving Berrios that same kind of dose of Jameson Crowder targets. Sometimes he still makes plays because, you know, Darnold uh, gets out of the pocket and makes something happen, but I do think Mims is going to be the guy to own, if anyone, from this offense. Uh, moving on to the running back room, the one interesting takeaway from the Jets is that LaMichael Pirine really took over a, a larger role than we were expecting. Ty Johnson was out of the picture, and because of that, we had Pirine playing 67% of snaps, 11 carries, two targets. Of course, Frank Gore also had 11 carries, but he was all the way down there at 31% snaps uh, and no targets. So they're giving pretty much Pirine, you know, the Le'Veon Bell role that we were kind of expecting going into this year. Uh, you know, three down back, that's maybe not getting 20 rush attempts per game but most of the pass down work and this is a viable fantasy role the problem is, is in this Jets offense that you know you really can't expect to score more than one touchdown a week if that in certain matchups uh, on the Buffalo side of the ball Devin Singletary 56% snaps Zach Moss at 46% Singletary led the way in you know, carries and targets but it was 8-7 to seven and 4-3 to three. truly a two-back backfield uh, Moss had a big you know 26-yard run that kind of gave him the superior stats in this one but I still think Singletary is going to be the guy more times than not moving forward in terms of a production standpoint but just realize it's an annoying two-back committee and then we have Josh Allen vulturing them from the goal line uh, pretty much all the time so not exactly the most fantasy friendly situation there. PFF Lily stat of this matchup. Another great performance from Cole Beasley. Want to give him uh, some credit here for this nice little start he's had. And honestly, nice continuation he's had from last season. He was playing some good ball with the Bills. You know, a lot of people kind of laughed at Beasley when he said he left the Cowboys to go to the Bills because it was just an all-around better place and he felt better about the team. I forget his exact quote, but, you know, people scoffed at the idea that going to Buffalo was better than going or better than staying with the Cowboys. And he's proven us wrong. Uh, this 31-year-old slot receiver playing better than ever. Career high, 12.1 yards per reception. 2.15 yards per route run just one drop on 49 targets credit to you Cole Beasley you got too much sauce and you are burning everyone that tries to guard you in man coverage and shout out Josh Allen just enabling you know a low eight out slot wide receiver you don't see that every day uh, next game here we had the Washington football team beat down the Dallas Cowboys 25 to 3 uh, you know kind of I think we mentioned on this podcast last week you know this was the way that Washington was going to kill the Cowboys and that was take advantage of an offensive line that just no longer looks anything like that world beating group we saw you know for the better part of the last half decade so Andy Dalton before he got knocked out which is 9 of 19 75 yards and a pick with three sacks hardly a situation that we would have felt optimistic about even if he hadn't have gotten injured 
Ben Naducci coming in, you know, James Madison quarterback. Hey, maybe he's out there and actually starting next Sunday night against the Eagles. I would kind of doubt it. His first throw, he actually kind of threw it into the honey hole, like uh, cover two down the sideline. The Amari Cooper was pretty nice. But after that, I mean, took three sacks, just looked shook. I mean, he had no business uh, really being out there. And just behind this offensive line, particularly, I mean, I guess this Washington defensive line, they were screwed against the Eagles next week. They're going to be screwed. They just can't block anyone right now. And the scheme, you know, isn't really helping uh, matters considering this season. Like, it seems like they're still trying to play like Dak Prescott's under center. I mean, adjust to your personnel, people. But uh, it's affecting Ezekiel Elliott. It's affecting the wide receivers. I mean, Amari Cooper made it out alive. He caught all seven of his targets for 80 yards. But nobody else had more than 25 uh, yards. Both Gallup and CeeDee Lamb were goose-egged. Uh, Cooper's going to be the one that's going to continue to be kind of an upside wide receiver, too, I think, regardless of who comes un- out under center. Because Mike McCarthy is treating him as such a you know alpha wide receiver one like we haven't seen the Cowboys use him over the past few years. But CeeDee Lamb, I mean, without Dalton in there even, I mean, who knows what we're getting. He could be, you know, more in that wide receiver three territory. And Michael Gallup, I mean, he's going to be droppable at this point because this is already a situation where he's more of a boomer bust guy. And now we've taken the boom out of the Cowboys offense. So, I mean, you know, he's a good enough player. I think he'll make the most of some opportunities down the road. But, you know, only two targets in this game. He's included a number of probably four pass game options in this offense at best, maybe even five behind Schultz and the running back. Uh, so it's a situation that I think we probably shouldn't expect better days uh, in the near future for Michael Gallup. Gallup. On the Washington side of the ball, Kyle Allen, 15 for 25, 194 yards. Pair of scores, one to Terry McLaurin when Diggs for the Cowboys just kind of sat at five yards. McLaurin ran straight past him. Uh, you know, it was a pretty layup of a 52-yard bomb, but hey, it is what it is. Shout out to uh, Scary Terry getting that done. And then Logan Thomas uh, had, a, had a nice uh, touchdown where Jalen Smith wasn't able to make the tackle and was able to skirt on in after that. So, you know, it was a, it was a game where Kyle Allen didn't have to do all that much. He showed some, like, kind of pretty solid mobility. mobility mobility over these last few weeks I didn't really remember him having in Carolina still not someone I think is on the fancy radar by any stretch of the imagination again this is the Cowboys defense is the nirvana of you know any matchup an offense can have and the fact that Kyle Allen still couldn't even clear 200 yards against them I understand he could have if they would have put the foot on the gas a little more but uh, still a situation where I wasn't you know overly impressed with what he was bringing to the table as long as he can coexist you know in that you know two second range between getting the snap and getting the ball Terry McLaurin like he did today That'll be all we need for fantasy purposes. Looking at these backfields, so Ezekiel Elliott, a little bit down, 67% snaps, 12 carries, two targets. We saw Pollard actually get eight carries, but you know I'll, I'll crunch the numbers on the kind of the quarter distribution uh, here on uh, Tuesday. Make sure you check out my article. I take stock of every backfield in the league every Wednesday, and that's usually uh, free, not even behind the paywall. That is out every Wednesday, but I'm going to crunch the numbers and look at the quarters one through three because I think Pollard was just in for most of the fourth quarter. He did have a great kick return. I mean, look, Tony Pollard's the man, but again, Cowboys have 80 million, 80 million reasons to continue to give Zeke, you know, the biggest workload he can handle week to week basis. Floor is lower than ever. We're, we're going to have to continue to treat Zeke as, you know, a top 10 back uh, pretty much every single week, even if he's going to be a little bit closer to that 10 spot than I think we ever probably could have imagined going in this year. On the Washington side of the ball, Ah, this sucks, everyone. So here's the good news. We had a lot of two running back sets, but ultimately, Antonio Gibson breakout game, you're probably hoping I'm about to tell you a big number, but nope. Antonio Gibson, 50% snaps. J.D. McKissick, 50%. And Peyton Barber, 32%. So we did, again, we saw more two running back stuff with McKissick and Gibson, and that was good. And hey, the rest, uh, excuse me, the football team went out of their way to get Gibson the ball, as they have done all year. 20 carries, 128 yards in the score, had a nice 40-yard run on a cute little 
inside handoff reverse thing where Gibson was kind of lined up as more of a slot type. So they're getting creative with getting him the ball, but McKissick still very involved. I think they want him out there more times than not for pass down, pass down snaps, you know, regardless of who's getting the ball. And then Peyton Barber to come in and take his, you know, 10 carries, more just a result of the, you know, Washington football team being up so much. And I don't think we're going to see them play with this kind of level of positive game script moving forward. But the fact that Barber is still there uh, is pretty annoying. So Gibson, you know, next week against the Giants, it could be another situation where we treat him as more of a middling RB2 than, than lower tier, but until he gets that, you know, Christian McCaffrey role we're holding out for, uh, it's going to continue to be more of a situation, I think, where Gibson's going to be top 20, top 24 back, then flirting with that top 10 level. Uh, next matchup here, we had the Green Bay Packers defeat the Houston Texans 35-20. to 20. And look, I mean, it was, a, it was a Devontae Adams game. And, you know, going into this year, I wonder if Devontae Adams could have a target total starting with two because not only do the Packers just have so few people around him to compete for targets, but Aaron Rodgers just loves the guy. And, you know, you look at this game. No Nobody on the Packers, other than Jamal Williams, had more than five targets other than Devontae Adams. He had 16 targets. He caught 13 of them, 196 yards, pair of scores. I mean, the routes all the way around were fantastic. The routes are always fantastic, but you add in just, you know, Adams on his own being anyone's idea of a top five talent at the position in the league. You take that, you take a scheme with the Packers that has been better all year, more play action. And we saw in his first touchdown, you know, pretty cool pivot route the goal line, but they also gave him a rub from another wide receiver. So the putting him in a position to succeed from, you know, a scheme standpoint. And then Aaron Rodgers just wants to force feed him the ball. And they've got, you know, a mind melt from playing with each other for the past half decade. So everything is going Devontae Adams' favor. Why did he not have a huge game the week before against Tampa Bay? Because Rodgers was on his back that entire game because of pressure. So not a situation I think we'll see move forward in terms of what he did in week six. Well, he's not going to flirt with 200 yards every single week. But truly, if Adams is getting 15 targets per week, which he almost has been uh, when he's been healthy out there, it's going to be a situation where, you know, particularly, you know, DFS cash games, stuff like that, he needs to be locked into lineups. And he is going to be, even when Michael Thomas returns, I think the overall fantasy wide receiver one. Uh, from here on out. Uh, on the Houston side of the ball, Deshaun Watson, 23 for 39, 309 yards, pair of scores through the air, chipped in 38 yards on the ground. Look, this game really wasn't close. I mean, the Packers were up 21-0 at halftime, and the Texans really didn't look all that into it uh, throughout the game. But this is just a Deshaun Watson experience in terms of fantasy football because he's always going to give us a fight and shot and at the you know a roster in that high end QB one. Haven't quite seen you know the overall QB one just completely blow performance yet this year, but I think that could still be on the pipeline. Maybe in one of those Jaguars matchups uh, down the road, he's got clear coming up. So you know it has been the hellacious early, early season start to the schedule for Watson. I know this game didn't show a lot, you know, particularly on the scoreboard, but just realize you know from a fantasy standpoint, Watson is that same QB one he. Has has always been. Uh, Randall Cobb, eight catches, 95 yards in the hashtag revenge game. Brandon Cook, seven catches, 60 yards. Will Fuller was getting beat up by Yair, Yair Alexander most of the game, but found his way into the end zone at the, at the end of the day to help salvage the performance. So we'll see better days, I think, from this uh, Houston offense as a whole, you know, they'll score more than 20 points in future weeks. But again, you know, regardless of what the game script does, I mean, Deshaun Watson is fully capable of putting up big points um, with these backfields here real quick. So Green Bay side of things with no Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams played 89% of the offensive snaps, 19 carries, five targets. AJ Dillon played just 23%, five carries and zero targets. So, I mean, you look at those numbers and it's like, my goodness, what are you doing drafting this guy in the second round? If you're not even going to use him when your starting running back is out. So maybe, you know, it's some grand grand plan that, you know, I don't, 
don't know about because I'm not in there. Look, I mean, I, I've doubted the Green Bay Packers enough. It is what it is. Their team's uh, awesome with or without A.J. Dillon, so it's kind of a mute point. Just doesn't make much sense. But anyway, if Jamal Williams is going to keep getting this sort of a role, yeah, he's going to be you know even higher than Giovanni Bernard because of the difference in you know, kind of scoring potential and upside of the offense uh jamal williams if aaron jones remains out you know it'll depend on the matchup a little bit but with this sort of receiving workload and rushing usage i don't think he's a special talent by any stretch of the imagination in terms of what he does with these with these carries but uh this is truly rb1 level usage for jamal williams and honestly same thing kind of on the other side of the ball with david johnson 81 percent snaps duke was in there for just 28 percent David did find the end zone on a reception, but, you know, rushing against the be- against the single worst defense in fantasy points per game allowed to uh, running back, that being the Packers. We were hoping for, you know, a bigger performance from David Johnson, but he continues to be the main guy that they're trusting well ahead of Duke, and he's going to continue to be a guy that even if that, you know, top five RB1 pipe dream we were maybe hoping for, just considering the massive workload on hand, even if that's out of the picture, David Johnson is still going to be someone that, you know, you could be want- you'd be wanting in your lineup more weeks than not. PFF Lily stat of the matchup here. Devontae Adams this year has missed two games due to injury. In another game, he only played a half because he got banged up during it. He is on pace despite that. Not his 16-game pace. I'm saying, you know, taking into account that he's missed these two games, he's only played half another one, and just, you know, moving forward to the end of this year, his pace is for 161 targets still absolute madness you know i know Devonte is in this weird situation where he either doesn't have a thousand yards in a season or he's only done it once and people like to you know use that against him but good to see that aaron Rodgers when Devonte is out there holding nothing back and getting his best receiver the ball as often as possible Thank you, everyone, for sticking around. As always, we got five more of these, and then we will get on out of here. Next game up, Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat down the Raiders 45-20. to A situation that, you know, Tom Brady looked fantastic. His arm, just in particular, just looks so good. Again, that was my concern coming in this year. It was, are we going to see his arm fall off? I still hear people, like I've done podcasts and heard people, you know, refer to Brady as having a noodle arm, like... Look, I understand not everyone can get out there and watch every single game. You know, it's it's my job to, you know, be as informed as possible. So I feel responsible to, you know, do my best to watch every single game. That's what I've been doing this year. But, I mean, to say Brady has a noodle arm is just, it's just not even correct. It's slander and it's just wrong and it's stupid. Because even going back to week one in the bad game against the Saints, Brady's been dropping deep balls downfield like it's freaking 2009 again. I mean, you look at this dude, 369 yards in this one, four touchdowns. Uh, the touchdown to Scotty Miller down the sideline was gorgeous and then we had two you know three actually just pretty well-placed red zone shots to Gronk Goblin and Tyler Johnson Brady truly just making the most out of all these you know weapons at his disposal and you know kind of seeing we'll get to the Patriots game here in a little bit but just seeing you know how big of a difference and we've seen it all throughout the year you know Stafford without Galladay Matt Ryan without Julio uh, Minshew without Chark it's I think we underrate just how much, you know, an offensive supporting cast has to do with their quarterback, you know, what they're able to accomplish. Okay, our guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, uh, to some extent, able to keep on keeping on regardless of who's around them. Yes. But, you know, otherwise, I think it does make sense that we got to consider, you know, positively and and negatively, uh, you know, impacting these quarterbacks more based on, uh, you know, how healthy their supporting cast is. So, yeah, I mentioned, you know, big games for Scotty, Goblin, Gronk, not so much for Mike Evans, just two targets, 37 yards. So there is a quote after week one from Bruce Arians where he said that he feels physically ill in any game that Mike Evans didn't get 10 targets. I understand we cannot trust anything Bruce Arians has to say from a fantasy football perspective, but you know, when I heard that, I at least thought, okay, like he 
clearly wants to feed Mike Evans a ton of targets. And hey, they went right back to the wall in week two and they got him those 10 targets. Since then, four targets, eight targets, nine targets, two targets, and two targets again. You know, Arian said this in the offseason when they kind of asked him about, okay, you got Mike Evans in Tom Brady. Are you going to, you know, try to change Mike Evans' route tree to kind of better match what Brady does? And Arian said no. He goes, we like what Evans does as a vertical receiver. We're going to keep him there. And look, I mean, they've... Evans has been awesome in the red zone. He's still doing his thing when Brady's giving him chances. He caught two of two targets and he drew a defensive pass interference in the first half. But it's a situation where I don't think we're ever going to see consistent double-digit targets because ever since Brady got to Tampa, he's been trying to bring his guy, A.B., into the fold. Like They're using Goblin as more of this kind of underneath um, you know, guy. Like what, Why is Scotty Miller ever getting nine targets in a game that you have Goblin and Mike Evans there? It almost seems like Scotty's just playing that role, warming up that role that Antonio Brown is eventually going to be filling. And look, it's a situation where Brady threw the ball 45 times in this game, 45 times and a 45 to 20 win. I think it's like Russ out there in Seattle. I think Bruce Arians and company, they want to let TB12 cook. He's throwing the ball better than ever. And he's about to have anyone's idea of the best wide receiver room in the league. It probably already is the best wide receiver room in the league. You know, we can, okay, I, we, we go with Seattle. That, that was a little bit of an overstatement on me. That's fine. I'll back it up immediately. But once you add Antonio Brown in the picture, we're definitely talking about the best wide receiver room in the league you know I'm, I'm more bullish than most on ab i think this guy's gonna be a legit upside wide receiver too uh more quickly than we're anticipating i mean brady look i you know you can say what you want about potential locker room issues you don't have to like ab i, I won't you know disagree with you there you know what he is the person or whatnot all that matters is that Tom Brady and Russell Wilson have spent the better part of the last six months trying to recruit this dude to their team. I highly doubt they'd be doing so if they didn't plan on feeding him the ball, at least to some extent. Uh, moving over to the Raiders, though. Derek Carr, you know, didn't get the win, but I thought he continued to play some good ball. 25 for 36, 284 yards, two touchdowns, had a pick, took some rough shots out there. I mean, this dude was trying to win the game. Uh, offensive line wasn't doing a bunch of help. But look, he continued to look downfield more often, which is exactly what we want to see out of him. Going into this matchup, nobody in the league was averaging more yards per attempt on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield in the car. The problem was he ranked outside the top 25 quarterbacks in deep ball rate, but we have seen that bumping up. He had a season high 9.4 yard average target depth and that win against the Chiefs, and we lauded him you know, for throwing the ball more downfield to Ruggs and Aguilar. He bumped it up to 9.5 yards in this one. So look, I mean, this is good. The car has a great arm. Now he's got downfield weapons with Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar. I'm not laughing. Nelson Aguilar has been a great downfield weapon this year. It's wild. He did have, you know, a familiar drop and another one hit his hands that he maybe could have came, come down with later in the game, but 170 yards and a score for Aguilar. He had a long touchdown a couple weeks ago getting nullified by a penalty. He scored a couple other legit ones, so, you know, kudos to him. I, I think I saw, uh, was as ESPN's Mina Kimes say, Nelson Aguilar, the only guy to go to Las Vegas and really turn his life around. Uh, if it wasn't her, it was someone else, and you know, kudos to them on that joke, but Rest of the way with this receiver's uh, receiver core in Las Vegas. Darren Waller, six catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. Touchdown, nice little slant from the goal line where they isolated him. I mean, there's no doubt about Waller being the uh, you know just overall number one pass game option here. And that's the only problem with expecting more out of Henry Ruggs. I mean, he made the most of his opportunities. Had a nice 20-yard, nine-yard catch and run that kind of showed what he can do as just like a yak guy in kind of underneath areas of the field. But ultimately, just three targets in this game. Only three targets the last time against the Chiefs. I mean, to see Nelson Ag or just triple Henry Ruggs targets. Even Hunter Renfro have twice as many. It's something I really hope you know won't continuously happen moving forward. I think Gruden's going to do everything he can to get Ruggs more involved, but certainly not a situation we can you know safely fire him up in fantasy just yet. 
looking at these backfields here uh, for a second. So Buccaneers, like what the heck? Now, a lot of this, again, I think was game script uh, dependent to an extent, but my thought process with both Ronald Jones and Fournette was that this was going to be an issue with either guy kind of being a true RB1 because we have LaShawn McCoy and uh, Keyshawn Vaughn uh, taking away the pass down work. Well, I should say we had them doing that because in this one, Leonard Fournette played 56% of the offensive snaps. Ronald Jones played 43%. Fournette had 11 carries and seven targets. And Ronald Jones had 13 carries and two targets. I mean, it's almost like Bruce Arians is making, you know, all of us that you know, like the people out there in the offseason that said, hey, Leonard Fournette, you know, look at all those passes he caught. He's a great receiving option. Like the lazy people that went out and said that throughout the offseason tried to act like Leonard Fournette was this great receiver. And I'm not trying to hate on Fournette, but look, there were 39 players in the league last year with at least 100 targets and only Tariq Cohen averaged fewer yards per target than Leonard Fournette. He was objectively an awful receiver. I'm not trying to be a dick. He was just a bad receiver last year. And now he is getting seven targets per game with Tom Brady as his quarterback. To his credit, he caught six of them for 47 yards i'm not saying you can't do it but it's just if you, you know you got all these options you've had you know months and months to bring in different guys to be you know your pass down back and you truly maybe settle on leonard fournette uh just kind of wild to see uh you know he did outproduce uh ronald jones on the ground although rojo got the touchdown still a situation where I think, you know, this could be whoever's on the field when they get down to that range. I don't think any of these guys are ever just going to be pulling each other off back and forth, but we can work with this. If it's only Fournette and Rojo here moving forward, we'll see. This backfield has been changing on a weekly basis, you know, really since week one of last season. So not really expecting this, you know, potentially be what we see moving out. But if it is just Fournette and Rojo and they're both seeing, you know, upwards of 15 combined carries and targets per game, both these dudes could be in the RB2 territory because this Buccaneers offense looks awesome. So, you know, Fournette's someone that we've been fading for most this year and not expecting much from but we got to roll with the punches baby and it looks like uh, Fournette is going to be in a situation where he's going to be seeing a lot more touches here moving forward particularly in the past game uh, than we might have ever respect expected uh Josh Jacobs a little bit of disappointing usage here 50 only 50 percent snaps 10 carries four targets we had Jalen Richard chipping in 27 percent snaps Devontae Brooker 24 percent this was, again, one of these situations where I think just kind of the blowout nature of the game got to it. Usually we're seeing, you know, Jacobs taking off the field uh, for pass down opportunities when in reality this time, Rashard was just more in the game in the fourth quarter for like just mop up duties. He ended up having seven carries on the game. Rough one for Josh Jacobs, but you know, it's been rough for every single running back to face excuse me, the Buccaneers this season. I mean, truly, this takes us into our PFF Lily stat of the matchup. RBs versus the Buccaneers this year. We got Alvin Kamara, 12 carries, 16 rush yards, one rushing touchdown. I'm not going to pass, passing usage. Christian McCaffrey, 18 carries, 59 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Melvin Gordon, eight carries, 26 rushing yards, no scores. Joshua Kelly, nine carries, seven scoreless yards. Justin Jackson, six carries, nine scoreless yards. David Montgomery, 10 carries, 29 yards, one score. Aaron Jones, 10 carries, 15 yards, one score, and Josh Jacobs, 10 carries for 17 scoreless yards. You know, we talk about matchups, you know, kind of just usually not mattering as much as we think they do in fantasy football land. Uh, you know, Vita Vea maybe not being in the fold, uh, you know, obviously not being in the fold uh, here moving forward. Hey, they got Devin White, Levante David, bunch of dudes in the defensive line. Dominican Sue continue to play is great. And Carlton Davis, hopefully he's okay. And Jamel Dean holding things down in the back end. Anyone's idea of a great defense, and you know, this is really the reason why I think the Buccaneers 
should be considered the NFC favorites to represent the conference in the Super Bowl here moving forward. I think they're the only team in the conference that truly combine, you know, a high-end offense with a similar high-end defense. A uh, quick shout-out before we move on here to our last few games. Uh, PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collins were his team of one of the best players on and off the field. 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman, the Chris Collins with podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. So mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Four more here, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me. Chiefs beat the Broncos 43-16. Weird game. We don't need to spend a ton of time on this one. Just a situation where the Chiefs, they had a kick return touchdown. No, not me, Cole Hardman. It was Byron freaking Pringle somehow. And uh, they also had a, a pick six. Uh, so a situation where, you know, the Chiefs got a big lead without even needing to ask Patrick Mahomes to do much. He went through the ball 23 times, 200 yards. He did extend his touchdown streak to, I believe, 17 games with a short little score to Tyree Kill. But again, just didn't need to put his foot on the gas at all. They did force feed Tyreek 10 targets. He caught six number 55 yards and a score, but just not really, you know, enough. There wasn't enough need to force the ball down the field. I think to really kind of enable that big blow up game that we've been waiting for. Uh, Travis Kelsey, a little bit disappointing, caught, you know, all three of his targets for 31 yards. But again, just a situation where they didn't have to throw the ball when they do have to throw the ball more. Obviously, Kelsey would be one of the guys taking the most advantage of it. Demarcus Robinson busted after last week's uh, solid game with only one catch for four yards. Naturally, Miko Hardman came back in the picture with uh, two catches, 57 yards, and also had a 13-yard carry. One of the catches was real nice, a uh, one-handed snag. Again, I mean, I know he had a drop last week, but generally, uh, anytime Miko Hardman is on the field and given opportunities to succeed, he's doing big things with them. The problem is that he continues to split snaps, you know, pretty much right down the middle with Byron Pringle. Demarcus Robinson is going nowhere, and we still got Tyreek Kelsey and arguably uh, Clyde edwards there. Maybe even Le'Veon coming up as guys that, you know, are taking those, uh, you know, just more overall targets uh, volumes from Miko. So, hey, great player. He's going to have to continue making the most out of, you know, at, at best case, three to five opportunities per game. Uh, with the Broncos, Drew Locke, not a good game. This honestly wasn't quite as entertaining as his, you know, win over the Patriots was uh, last week. So, erratic performance. He had a great throw to Patrick early. I mean, still kind of showed off some of that tantalizing arm strength, but Last week, his average target depth was at 18 yards. That got down to 6.9 this week. He did have a, you know, just amazing swagger hound touchdown on a read option where he actually pointed at the defensive end that he juked out a little bit at the end as he was crossing the goal line. So I am still a Drew Locke fan, but look, don't get it twisted. I mean, you know, we got to separate guys we like and guys that we think can like actually put up fantasy football points. Drew Locke for, uh, firmly falls in the uh, former category for me. I mean, he was my 27th out of 28 quarterbacks going into this week. He probably outperformed that with the rushing touchdown, but he is not someone that I am you know expecting any sort of a fantasy see uh, uh, consistency here moving forward. Even with Noah Fant back, we had Albert O uh, tying for a team lead with Fant with seven targets. He caught all seven down for 60 yards. Fant looked all kinds of banged up. I would just say, you know, if Locke's okay, and if Fant ever has to miss time, we might actually be looking at Albert O as a top 10 guy because, you know, Drew Locke and him, ex-college teammates, this dude just wants to chuck his friend the ball. you got to respect it. Uh, other guys, you know, just not enough targets that we thought. I mean, they had a ton of dudes with three or four targets in this one. Judy only had four. Uh, Tim Patrick only had four. And also the hamstring injuries. So just a passing offense that, look, we got some better matchups ahead. This was never a spot that we were, you know, we were looking to target too aggressively. But, uh, you know, a disappointing performance really all around nonetheless. Uh, with these backfields, 
backfield. So first game with the Chiefs, again, wasn't the best, you know, game script to kind of figure out what's going to be going on here moving forward. But I do think we kind of saw glimpses. And that is that Clyde Edwards Elaire should remain the featured guy here. 53% snaps, eight carries, four targets. We saw Le'Veon get 33% snaps, six carries, no targets. And DeAndre Washington, 20% snaps, three carries and one target. So it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire as the number one. If Le'Veon Bell can you know, fully overtake DeAndre Washington and also Daryl Williams, who was active as well, then okay, he's got 50% snaps for himself. But it's going to be Clyde. I, th- I still think there's you know 20% of there that could go either way. Maybe Clyde you know continues to play re- really well. Had a nice 11-yard touchdown. Wasn't 10. You know you can, you can continue to say that Clyde Edwards-Alaire can't score inside the 10-yard line because he didn't. He scored from the 11. Uh, but a situation where he broke three or four tackles on that run. Great play. He did drop a touchdown pass. He was he was not perfect, but you know, still a guy that I believe hasn't put a ball on the ground all year in terms of fumbles. Uh, not exactly any reason to be yanking him off the field just yet. Crap to Le'Veon. I mean, six carries, 39 yards, and this has never been a situation where we think Le'Veon is washed. It's just, you know, again, Chiefs drafted Clyde, not even knowing Damian Williams was going to opt out. Le'Veon Bell is there, I think, to provide a nice upgrade to their RB2 job, but Clyde is still the guy, in my opinion, him moving forward. The only problem with Le'Veon being there as it takes away that true top four, top five upside that, you know, we would have had with Clyde if he ever would have been able to fully take over this backfield. With the Broncos, again, mentioned Philip Lindsay with that concussion. So once he went out, Melvin Gordon really did dominate snaps, 59% of them, 17 carries, four targets. If Lindsay's going to be sidelined, it's going to be the Melvin Gordon show. How effective will be with that remains to be seen. You know, we saw we had the big game against the Jets a few a few weeks ago, but similar to the Jets, you know, just anyone in this Broncos offense is going to carry a fairly low weekly floor. PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So Mahomes' first start was in week 17, 2017. And I mean, look, they, they, they killed the Broncos today. His first start was against the Broncos as well. And they managed to get a win there. So that's 42 starts between then and now, including the playoffs. Mahomes has had zero losses by multiple scores in his NFL career. You have to go back to November 19th in 2016 when Iowa State beat Texas Tech 66-10 to to find the last time that Mahomes has lost a football game by multiple scores. So... It's just, you know, one of these things, it's not like this game was ever in doubt of, you know, being a loss for Mahomes, but it truly is wild how even when this, you know, usually things go right and Mahomes is the winner, you know, without too much difficulty, but he is truly never out of a game and never has been out of a game at the NFL level. Next matchup here, we got the 49ers and the Patriots. Uh, 49ers kicked the crap out of the Patriots, 33-6. Not a good day for Cam Newton stands, such as myself. He went 9 for 15, 98 yards, 3 picks. Only managed to chip in 19 rushing yards. Look, coming in, I mean, they were he, he going in this game, he was on pace to have the second most rush attempts ever by a QB behind only Lamar Jackson. The problem is that it's a mix of Cam, one, not looking good throwing the ball. I mean, those interceptions were certainly his fault. And really, other than that Seattle game all season, we just haven't seen him consistently, uh, you know, being able to get the ball downfield. And it's also just his receivers aren't doing anything. I mean, look, Nikhil Harry left early. The fact that we were even talking about Nikhil Harry being, not being there is an issue. It tells you all you need to know. Jacoby Myers was easily the best wide receiver in this game. The Patriots traded a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu last year. And I don't think enough people, you know, continuously yell this out their window in the morning. It's that ridiculous, and the world needs to continue to be reminded of it. So, you know... 
one of these things where, yeah, it's not looking good for the Patriots right now, two, uh, two and four on the year. You know, Jared Stidham did come in for Cam uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I'd be pretty surprised if Cam doesn't start uh, this next week, but clearly this is a situation where it's not, you know, he doesn't have as firm of a good grip as he had before. Going to be, you know, moving Cam down more towards that borderline QB1 range just because his offense can't move the ball right now. You know, people have pointed out that, hey, maybe – it's the fact that since Cam's come off the COVID list that, you know, he is, uh, you know, just not playing better because of that. I, I'm not sure. I have never had COVID and I've also never played quarterback in the NFL. So tough for me to have too much of an opinion on what Cam's feeling like. And, you know, I saw someone else uh, point out that, you know, he actually uh, later in the game against the Broncos. Uh, yeah, I guess the Broncos last week, I think his hand hit a helmet on his follow through and he hasn't really been throwing that right since. So is this a Cam stand you're listening to trying to make excuses for the guy? Potentially. I mean, he was awful out there today. I don't know how else to put it. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, not getting any help. You can see why Tom Brady was so happy to get to Tampa Bay at this point. Uh, you know, run game, Damian Harris, 10 carries, 58 yards, yada, yada, yada. It's just a situation with this Patriots offense right now where we got to wonder can they move the ball? Because it's Broncos and 49ers defenses. Hey, I mean, well coached, absolutely. Uh, fantastically coached, but we have still seen other offenses put up some points against these guys. And you would have thought that McDaniels and Cam would be one of those offenses capable of doing so. On the 49ers sideline, Jimmy G, 20 for 25, 277 yards, no touchdowns, parried picks, got his revenge game win. I mean, look, it, he made some good throws, and he made some good throws last week. I'm not trying to take anything away from Jimmy G. He's just not being asked to kind of do the same sort of you know heavy lifting that a lot of other quarterbacks around the league are on a week-to-week basis. His average target depth is only 5.8 yards uh, in this one. And look, going into this week, and I'm sure this hasn't changed, like nobody has averaged more yards per attempt on, you know, quote-unquote passes uh, thrown behind the line of scrimmage that's because you know jimmy g is so great at those pop passes or is so great at getting this guy's you know balls on the screen it's kyle shanahan orchestrating this so you know the fact that jimmy g can help make kyle shanahan's mind come to life that's valuable and that's you know what's earned him you know this nine-figure deal with the 49ers but just a situation where i think in terms of fantasy upside probably not gonna be seeing much of it particularly as long as you know shannon continues to get this run game moving but you know good games for Ayuk, six catches 115 yards this dude is legit after the catch uh debo Samuel, five catches, 65 yards, also had uh, seven yards. They're using him as a legit running back, people. And then uh, George Kittle had five catches for 55 yards on seven targets while being his usual badass self as a blocker with these backfields. So Jeff Wilson was active, and because of that, he ended up dominating this usage. 56% snaps before he uh, scored his third touchdown and suffered that high ankle sprain. 17 carries, two targets. Jermichael Hasty was number two with 24% snaps, nine carries, one target. Jarek McKinnon at just 19% and three carries. Talked about on this podcast last week. I mean, the reason why we weren't expecting McKinnon to have that same every-down role that he had the last time Moster was out is because... Debo Samuel and George Kittle were out then. They're back now. Kyle Shannon has his list of playmakers. At that point, when Mostert was out, McKinnon was at the very top of it. Now that you know Mostert is out again, McKinnon is not on top of that list of playmakers. So if Jeff Wilson is going to be out, which it sounds like he is, remember it sounds like Tevin Coleman's going to be back next week. So you know, but Coleman back, I would probably expect you know kind of an early down split between Hasty and Coleman. I think a little bit closer when we saw tonight, and then McKinnon's role probably not changing all that much. So I really think right now in the way the 49ers are willing to throw the ball, get use check involved and 
kind of do their thing with these pop passes and, you know, things that are called receptions that are more or less, you know, just kind of longer, uh, uh, just horizontal runs. I don't think it's a situation where we need to be looking to actively, uh, you know, start these running backs. If you can get hasty and get Coleman or McKinnon, it's a fine lottery ticket if things kind of even itself out. But how many weeks now have we kind of been waiting to see some certainty here and guys just kind of keep on falling off? We know Shanahan's rushing offense is going to put up yards, and that's why I'm saying, like, it's okay to have these guys on the squad. But in terms of expecting one of them to become this, you know, every week RB1 or even an every week RB2 moving forward. I'm a little bit pessimistic about that. With the Patriots, you know, usual three-headed uh, just attack. You know, Rex Burke had 47% snaps. Damon Harris, 43%. James White, just 18%. Pretty puzzling usage from him. It was just a weird game. And uh, again, I mean, Cam in no way, shape, or form played well. But, you know, we did also have a situation where uh, there were two lost fumbles. Cam had, you know, a, uh, like a drop or two out there. Another throw that was called back on a penalty. Wasn't the absolute, you know, maybe it was the most horrendous performance you've seen. Wasn't good. No one helped. Afternoon to forget for the New England Patriots. Our PFF Lily stat of the matchup. Debo Samuel in 2020 has 213 yards after the catch, but only 185 receiving yards. That's right. He has literally caught so many of his targets behind the line of scrimmage. He actually has more yards after the catch than he does real life receiving yards. And that's just how they use him. He is honestly like a wide receiver. He is like the best version of a wide receiver that, you know, gets to moonlight as a running back that we've ever seen a coach enable since maybe, you know, early 2010s, uh, Percy Harvin with the Vikings. Because you go back, you include the postseason from last year, and Debo Samuel has 28 carries for 291 yards and three touchdowns as just a pure rusher. You know, he's being used just as a, the usage is fantastic. I really hope the hamstring injury isn't an issue. Now, you know, we've seen him last year. He had a shoulder injury on like a groin and obviously had the broken foot going in this year. So get healthy, Debo. So fun to watch and the way Shanahan uses them is absolutely fantastic to see. Two more matchups, everyone, that we are out of here. We got the Chargers. Took down the Jaguars, 39-29. to My guy, Justin Herbert, snapped my helicopter streak. Happy to see that. Happy to get one on the board. We are on to week eight for the next one. So with Herbert, I mean, just fantastic. 27 for 43, 347 yards, a trio of touchdowns. Uh, he found uh, Jalen Guyton for a long 70-yarder, as they've been hooking up with all season. Uh, Virgil Green, perfectly placed 26-yard uh, touchdown. And then Donald Parham, uh, XFL superstar Donald Parham uh, for a 22-yard score so you know Herbert continuing just to make awesome throws Jaguars don't have enough pass didn't have them enough of a pass rush to really make life too difficult and we got an enhanced rushing floor, people. This was great to see. Nine carries, 66 yards, and one touchdown. So I've kind of comped Justin Herbert to Josh Allen, not because they play the same way, but just because they possess the same one skill of they force defenses to really account for every square inch of the field. They both have massive arms. And, you know, I think Josh Allen's a, you know, a good amount more athletic or at least a decent amount more athletic than Herbert. But, you know, seeing this game, seeing him take off, you know, really decisively on a read option, it might be a little bit closer than I think thoughts so you know they can run they can throw it on field they can extend and then throw down field truly a nightmare for defenses to deal with particularly uh in this chargers team we got keenan allen out there 10 catches 125 yards mike williams dotted with only one catch for four yards but we know what he can do with opportunity uh hunter henry's gonna have better days ahead of him as well so good stuff from this chargers team i'm just happy that they have a young signal caller like justin herbert that should seemingly you know enable some fancy friendly offenses for years to come on the jaguar side of the ball gardner Minshew. 
14 for 2773 yards, pair of touchdowns, five sacks though, and wasn't able to get any of his wide receivers over 50 yards. DJ Chark, just one catch on seven targets. He threw a beautiful touchdown to Chris Conley uh, for 28 yards right after Chark got injured. Uh, how about the irony there after Chark comes out and said that the you know passes weren't on target enough uh, the previous week, but tough performance to feel too good about with Minshew. The guy continues to put up borderline QB1 production almost every week. This is more of a QB2 performance, but it's not really that he's put up bad numbers, but it's been bad enough, you know, results in real life that it does seem like that, you know, a quarterback change could be happening at any given week. And just because that's a possibility means that we're going to be having to rank Minshew. And honestly, these wide receivers are much slower here moving forward. Mike, their draft glenn is not someone we want to be associated with in the offense. And that goes for James Robinson, too. I mean, look, this was a great game by James Robinson. 22 carries, 119 yards and a score on the ground and also caught a touchdown but man this offense is going downhill in a hurry you know I've talked about this before James Robinson he's just one of those guys where hey, if someone wants to treat him at the top of his value and which he has been producing uh, wouldn't be a bad idea if you can find someone that just truly wants J-Rob on their squad Looking at J-Rob in these running back rotations, he had 90% snaps. And this wasn't a game of Chris Thompson out. Uh, Devin Zigbo was not active. We had uh, Dari Agumbawale from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in action. But he only had 10% snaps. No carries, no targets. James Robinson featured, you know, truly getting just a Leonard Fournette every down roll. And, hey, that's valuable. And I, I get it if you don't want to, you know, sell on that 100%. But still a situation where this Jaguars team is going nowhere fast. I just worry, you know, if their true goal in this, you know, season is is, is their only goal really to give James Robinson just 30 touches per week because they're, uh, you know, they're kind of getting there. So kudos there. But I just, you know, I, I it's tough for me to believe that they're going to continue to go back to well here, even as things continue to fall apart. But we shall see. Uh, with the Chargers, uh, Justin Jackson took a little bit of a backseat this game. 39% snaps, five carries. He did get the important six targets. But we had Joshua Kelly at 47% snaps, 12 carries, and five targets himself. So it's going to be pretty 50-50 week to week. I think Justin Jackson is going to be the guy more times than not doing his thing. But this is just a game where no one can really get the ball moving on the ground for the Chargers other than Justin Herbert. And then while Kelly had you know more opportunities in the past game we did see Jackson make the most out of those I still think Jackson is their pass down back when they're able to do that Kelly's their early down guy but you know in fantasy football land we're getting a full point per reception we care more about the pass down guy than the early down guy uh PFF Lily stat of the matchup so here's only rookies to throw for at least 4,000 passing yards in NFL history Andrew Luck Cam Newton, Jameis Winston. Andrew Luck has the most ever at 4,374. So far, 2020 pace for Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Herbert, 4,626 yards. Burrow, 4,624 yards. Neck and neck. I'm excited for this rookie of the year race. Let's get it, people. You know, I was talking on some of these podcasts last week saying I think I might take uh, Herbert, you know, moving forward. But they're different players and they're both just playing so well right now. Okay, maybe not playing so well with everything they're doing but they're putting up fancy numbers i love to see that they're showing you know a ton of potential for the suit for the future herbert can make anything on the field burrow seems to always know what throw he wants to make regardless of what's going on just can he get the ball there or can he have enough time to get the ball there i think again Chargers offense should be a fancy funny situation for years to come and i think once the Bengals get burrow an offensive line the same can be said there 
Last one here, save the best for last, the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals ended up taking this one after it seemed like that, you know, we might get one of those. I think it was a 6-6 tie uh, we had way back when, uh, when these guys faced off on Sunday Night Football. So a game that seemed like it would never end ultimately resulted in the Cardinals capturing a 37-34 victory. And yeah, with this one, it was the Tyler Lockett show for the Seahawks. 20 targets, 15 catches. 200 yards, three touchdowns, you know, maybe you're like me and you had Tyler Lockett on some teams and you didn't on others, so you just kind of, well, you just let it go, didn't even worry about it. Maybe you're still tilted, maybe you're happy, whatever. Tyler Lockett, second three-touchdown game of the year, first player since Doug Baldwin to do that on the Seahawks, I believe, to rack up these multiple trio touchdown games in the same year. You love to see it. The mind melt was on full display from the first snap. Tyler Lockett reeled in this awesome one-handed catch. Had a wild diving touchdown later before the half. That was, you know, right between Patrick Peterson and Buda Baker. Best two players in that secondary. And then ultimately seemed to ice the game on this uh, fourth and goal pass that Russ just put right in the perfect spot. But obviously Kyler and company got back into it. Uh, DK Metcalf, only two catches for 23 yards. Had the highlight of the night when Russ threw a pick on the goal line to boot a Baker and Metcalf, like the freaking massive beast he is, somehow chased down Baker uh, and hawked him and saved the touchdown. But uh, had a you know touchdown call back in overtime on just a little fly screen that he took the distance. Now the hold that David Moore committed definitely you know seemed like like it enabled the touchdown to happen. But either way, man, I understand Patrick Peterson is a bigger body cornerback and, you know, can maybe give Metcalf some trouble. We talked about this with Aqib Tlaib on the pod last week. But at the same time, we saw what Metcalf does with the ball in his hands. Like, this dude's a yak monster in addition to just being a vertical downfield threat. So I think just, you know, only getting him the ball two times in this game, even though Lockett was just obviously so efficient with his touches. You just would have liked to see Metcalf have a few more chances to make some of these game-changing plays that we've seen him make all year. Uh, David Moore had 54 yards. Uh, Greg Olson had a touchdown. Uh, it hit him in the hands that he held on to but couldn't get the second foot down. It truly was just a Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson show on display. Uh, Russ with the three picks. Yeah, all three pretty bad. Not great, Russ. You know, still show plenty of let Russ cook, you know, MVP moments. I'm not saying this one, you know, ho-hum game, which wasn't even ho-hum. He made, again, just a number of just mesmerizing throws. I don't know if anyone else in the league other than Patty Mahomes could probably make, but just a situation where, okay, you know, can't have those picks and, you know, got to try to avoid those in the future, whether you're Russell Wilson or whoever you are. So he, Russ did chip in 84 rushing yards on the ground, you know, proving to be this fancy friendly QB that we always knew was there, just always didn't know if, uh, you know, he'd get the opportunity to fully be that guy. He is, and that's great. Um, other side of the ball, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, 34 for 48, 360 yards, three touchdowns through the air, only one bad interception. Uh, also chipped in 67 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Look, it was a Deion Andre Hopkins show mostly 10 catches, 103 yards in the score, but also had Christian Kirk pitching in with another uh, two touchdown game. Larry Fitzgerald had eight catches for 62 yards, and Chase Edmonds, seven catches for 87 yards, coming off the bench after Kenyon Drake got hurt. Edmonds also chipped in 58 yards on the ground. Look, it's not, Edmonds has been much better than Drake as a receiver this year, but it's not like Edmonds was just constantly ripping off many bigger runs than Drake, uh, you know, for the first part of the season. Then the Cowboys game happened. It didn't really look like we would see Drake, you know, really give up this feature spot. But hey, if he's hurt, Edmonds is that guy. He is going to be, you know, I put him above Jamal Williams, above Giovanni Bernard. I think Kyle, I think uh, Chase Edmonds, if uh, truly Drake is out, we're going to see him flirt with the 90% roll every single week. And, you know, inside this offense with this you know trust he's got from Kyler in the passing game he's gonna be able to put up serious numbers with that 
And yeah, I think that just about does it, everyone. Uh, quickly, oh, on, on Seattle's side of the ball, real quick. Yeah, Chris Carson being out with a foot injury, potentially. Rashad Penny is going to be back from the pup list at some point. I believe he is eligible now. They need to activate him and get him to practice soon. But we're at that point where he could be back soon. So, you know, if you're in a situation where people really aren't on the radar with it yet, people are worried about, you know, more running backs that might have more immediate week eight value, don't be afraid to, you know, at least just give, you know, a long look at Rashad Penny because we saw last year when he's been healthy. It's actually been a two-back committee between uh, Carson and Penny. So we got Carlos Hyde. You know, we got Travis Homer. We got uh, DJ Dallas there, too. Those guys are going to be splitting it, I think, in the meantime, if Carson's out with Hyde being the favorite to lead him in rushes and, you know, Homer probably being the favorite to lead him in targets. Uh, either way, though, I think Penny is the one that, you know, might be the diamond in the rough in this situation. All right, everyone, that is going to do it. Thank you, as always, for checking out the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, we, again, I'm posting these every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can check me out on Twitter, where I always send out the links, at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Don't forget the Z, otherwise things get weird in a hurry. But thank you again for tuning in, as always. Until next time, everybody, take care. Hope you had a good Week 7, and we are on to Week 8.